You are entering the Freedom Hut. Israel drops some very interesting intelligence on Iran and its nuclear program, plus expectations incredibly high for the upcoming summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Also, an aftermath of the White House Correspondents' debacle dinner over the weekend, and an update on Joy Reid over at MSNBC. Did she apologize, or what was what she said? We'll get into that. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. I've got my first first day of my uh, my swamp sabbatical, I guess we could call it. I am down here in our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., bringing back all kinds of memories, showing up here as a young CIA analyst, gosh, over a decade ago, and you know, not having any money in my pocket, really, just trying to figure out how this whole thing's going to work. <laughs> it was it was quite a time. And now here I am, a radio host, and uh, doing a show here with you. And I'm going to have some other exciting announcements, I think, about all the cool things we get to do together uh, coming up later this week, I believe. But you'll have to just hold off on that for now, or I'll have to just keep you in suspense for now. So we have some big things to discuss today in the world. Um, I'm going to save the correspondence dinner till, till later on in the show, because... It happened on Saturday, weekend stuff. I, w- I wanted to get into the latest and and most important stories from today and even some relatively late-breaking news. Uh, if you have not seen this Netanyahu presentation, that's really what it is. It, it is a full-on, uh, you know, standing walk-and-talk. It's like... It reminded me a little bit of back in the day when Glenn, uh, Glenn Beck, my old boss, used to do the the chalkboard, you know? Netanyahu was kind of doing the chalkboard, except he was, well, talking about the Iranian nuclear program for all the world to see. And those of us now uh, who have, have spent time watching this can talk about Project Ahmad. Play 18. So let me tell you the history of this material. We've known for years that Iran had a secret nuclear weapons program called Project Ahmad. We can now prove that Project Ahmad was a comprehensive program to design, build, and test nuclear weapons. We can also prove that Iran is secretly storing Project Ahmad material to use at a time of its choice to develop nuclear weapons. It's a big deal. You have the Prime Minister of Israel who's saying they have uh, incontrovertible proof that the Iranians had an extensive nuclear weapons program. Remember, they would say things like, oh, yeah, the Fordo facility, we built that under a mountain, but, you know, it's because we wanted isotopes for medical research. So we built it under a mountain. It's a secret hardened military facility, but... We figured it was necessary because, you know, isotopes and stuff for medical research. No serious person believes this, but this is what the Iranians say, because there are enough 
Iran regime enablers out there around the world and in the media specifically that even an implausible deniability gives them some degree of coverage. And that's largely what the Iranians have been offering, right? The Iranians get away with all kinds of half-truths and all-out lies because there are people in the West who are favorable to them. There are people in the international community with a lot of prominence who want to do everything in their power to, one, just stick their thumb in the eye of the Israeli state whenever they can, and, and two, uh, help out the, as they see it, besieged and uh, harassed Iranian regime. There are people who take lots of people out there in the media who take that position. just want to be quite clear on that. But it's going to be a little harder to say, uh, it's going to be a little harder to say that the Iranians have been honest with us because, well, yeah, you heard about Project Ahmad there from Netanyahu, but we've got a lot of info now that they're going to be sharing with the U.S. government, not, I think, with all of us. Uh, in fact, he gives a pretty clear estimate of what it is. Play 19. 55,000 pages. Another 55,000 files on 183 CDs. Everything you're about to see is an exact copy of the original Iranian material. You may want to know where are the originals. Well, I can say they're now in a very safe place. This is really unusual. I've never seen anything like this. For a, a, a head of state to do a video presentation like this. I mean, he, it almost looked like he was, I was talking about very serious stuff, but the stuff he's pulling, uh, he's pulling covers off of the seat. You know, the, he had sort of a, I was going to say a blanket. I don't know what you'd call it. He's, you know, it's, it's almost like he was revealing a magic trick up there on stage. He's like, ah, look at this. We have all these binders of sensitive information about the Iranian nuclear program. So, in a sense, the Israelis are doing donuts in Iran's front yard here, saying, yeah, what's up? You guys think you're so clever with hiding your nuclear program research and your aspirations for nuclear program? Guess what? We're more clever. So that's one part of this. Uh, and, and, and then the much bigger part, but still, uh, is to show the world that the Obama administration's deal, which I know was a, what, the P5 plus 1 Deal the uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action JCPOA, pretty boring name for a pretty bad deal. Was an unwise maneuver because you are relying on some measure of honesty and good faith from the Iranian regime. You just are. There's no way around that. There's no way to look at what happened with Iran and not think. Hold on a second. We are taking their word for certain things and we don't know the full truth of other things and expect that somehow this is all going to be okay in the end. And Netanyahu, I think, made that a much a much tougher sell than it had been uh, previously and gets into how if the Iranians couldn't be trusted to tell the truth, remember, they had the option of coming entirely clean with the international community on their nuclear program as a condition of getting into this deal in the first place. If they weren't willing to come clean to get into the deal, 
Who thinks that they're not cheating right now in ways that we can just begin to guess at? Play 20. ...to develop nuclear weapons. Any way we consider nuclear weapons both irrational as well as immoral. Well, tonight I'm here to tell you one thing. Iran lied. Big time. After signing the nuclear deal in uh, 2015, Iran intensified its efforts to hide its secret nuclear files. In 2017, Iran moved its nuclear weapons files to a highly secret location in Tehran. The Iranians lied. Why would we sign a deal that in any way takes the word of the Iranian regime and treats the Iranian state like it has been a good actor in anything? Why would an administration... Oh, that's right. Because... You know where this is going. Because the Obama administration was desperate for a foreign policy legacy. How can you have the smartest, most amazing, most talented, most knowledgeable president of all presidents in all history who does not have a single foreign policy accomplishment to his eight years in office and and has a legacy of a lot of failures on the foreign policy front. The media just couldn't believe it, couldn't accept it, and the Obama administration was unwilling to accept it, clearly, so they did everything in their power to try and get to a deal. They were moving as close as they could in every way they could to the Iranian regime and gave them concessions. So now we look back at this, you say to yourself, what many of us were claiming all along, that you can't trust Iran, that Iran's not an honest actor in this. That was certainly the case. So Trump is going to, uh, in a few days, look over this deal. And he is going to have a... uh, He's going to have to make a decision as to whether we stay in this or not. He's going to have to negotiate over it. And remember, the, the decision that we were left with by the previous administration, the what they offered up was either give the Iranians way more than you should or war. That was a false choice. It wasn't true. The options were give the Iranians, uh, well, make the Iranians come to your side of the table and make real concessions, or continue with the sanctions that were economically crippling the regime and causing a lot of pain and pressure for the Iranian state. Those were the options. Obama decided to get rid of that, take off the pressure. You see the juxtaposition of how Obama's team dealt with Iran versus the way, right now at least, Trump is dealing with North Korea. It's one thing to say you want to talk. It's another thing to say, hey, let's talk, and and I'm going to take my leverage away while we're talking. You know, Trump is keeping all the pressure on with North Korea, with the Iranians. It's even really not a, it's not even accurate to say that we reached an agreement with them. It's kind of a phased, long-term process of just waiting to see what happens. With sunset provisions at the end, too, so they can just walk out of it when, when all said and done. So uh, here's, here's Netanyahu's four-point uh, conclusion from this massive intelligence. Remember, they got access to all this somehow. They've got access to these Iranian archives. I know people are going to say that it's Israel, and there are going to be a lot of people out there say, oh, you know, it's a forgery, or the Israelis are trying to scare us into war with, you know, against the Iranian state or something, because people will always say, unfortunately, very 
untrue and scary things uh, like that about the Israeli state for reasons I won't get into right now. But here is the conclusion of the prime minister himself on this one. 21. You can draw four main conclusions. First, Iran lied about never having a nuclear weapons program. 100,000 secret files prove that they lied. Second, even after the deal, Iran continued to preserve and expand its nuclear weapons know-how for future use. Why would a terrorist regime hide and meticulously catalog its secret nuclear files if not to use them at a later date? Third, Iran lied again in 2015 when it didn't come clean to the IAEA as required by the nuclear deal. And finally, the Iran deal, the nuclear deal, is based on lies and Iranian deception. Yep. Some of us have known this all along. Some of us have been saying this all along. And now the Israelis, through whatever means they use to get all this information, have proof. What will Trump do about it? We will just have to see. But at many levels, I think the part of this that will annoy Democrats the most, what makes them most angry about this whole conversation is not that they have some deep investment in the outcome of the deal with Iran. It's that they don't like that the Obama administration's foreign policy legacy could go up in smoke. That's what really bothers Democrats. And Big folks in the media hear about it. So uh, we're, we're going to talk also about uh, North Korea, and then I'm going to try to bring it home with some stuff here in the stage. Just the big news today seems to be all foreign policy focused. You know, I, I get a little, meh. I think that uh, I, I got to put myself in this category. I think a lot of media folks find this statecraft abroad stuff to be much of much higher interest than you're just everyday Americans because... Uh, this doesn't really affect any of our lives all that much right now. It might at some point in the future. It might not. Uh, so I'm going to try not to uh, get too in the weeds on this stuff for right now because I don't find it to be uh, all that all that uh, useful beyond what we have to know. So I'll get into some of the stuff on North Korea coming up. And then I've got uh, Joy Reid's kind of non-apology apology. What does that tell us about the media and social justice warriors and all that? And and uh, we got a whole lot more. So stay right there. I wasn't planning on talking about this cultural appropriation story. We'll get back to North Korea in a second, but this is this just gets me fired up. First of all, cultural appropriation is not a thing. It's not a thing. doesn't doesn't really exist. Um, cultures are constantly borrowing, stealing, taking from others, and people take from cultures as they see fit. No one has any ownership of culture because how could we enforce that? The story I'm talking about here is a. Uh, 18-year-old uh, high school student named uh, Kezia Dom from Utah who wore a Chinese kipao dress to her prom. It's sort of a traditional-looking Chinese dress for those who... I mean, I, I'd never heard of a kipao before, but you, you, you know what it looks like, right? It's traditional Chinese dress from the uh, 18th... Oh, sorry, from the, it goes all the way back to the 17th century, according to the Daily Mail here. And there were all these outraged people on Twitter 
So I, I just want to know where where does this stop and start? How do we our uh, our suits with neckties? Is that cultural appropriation? Who owns that, by the way? Who gets to own that? Do I have to? I'm here in Washington D.C. Do I have to walk around and tell everyone that they're not allowed to wear seersucker because it is was was actually appropriated by the British during the colonial period in India? Seersucker is actually shirshukur, which is a crushed cotton fabric from South Asia. During the period of British imperial rule, they wanted to wear things that didn't make them sweat quite as much, and so seersucker, that's where we get it. Also, some of you are probably fond of Madras shorts. Oh, yeah, Madras, like India. That's where that pattern comes from. Some of you are also probably wearing a gingham shirt as you listen to this. Oh, yeah, that's right. Gingham shirt comes from Malaysia. That's where that pattern was found. So are, are we going to tell people they can't wear gingham and seersucker? Because those were all appropriated during colonialism, I might add. And what about neckties? Who gets to wear them? Well, you might say that the necktie as we know it was an appropriation really made popular here because of the British. But the British borrowed it from the French. The French had the cravat, but they didn't even come up with the idea. It actually comes from Croatian mercenaries who served in the army of, I think it was Louis the Fourteenth, and they had a brightly colored piece of cloth they would tie around their necks, and they were called the cravati. So, yeah, we could do this thing all day. The outrage expressed on Twitter over the weekend about a girl wearing a traditional Chinese dress to her prom is an embarrassment for all social justice warriors and leftists. She wasn't mocking anyone. She thought it looked pretty. If we can't wear things that we think look pretty or cool or fun because some people are going to claim offense, we are just giving up very basic rights to make deter- to make simple determinations about how we're going to conduct ourselves in our day-to-day lives. Cultural appropriation is not a thing. It's not something to be to be worried about one way or the other. It is not a thing. It doesn't really exist. It is a term used by ignorant people who want others to cower in fear at the accusation that they've conjured up out of nothing, which is that there's this thing called cultural appropriation. It's preposterous. So people should wear the clothing of whatever culture they want. And end of story, whether it's prom or anywhere else, this is just crazy. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. We had a uh, extensive conversation on the hardest issues that face our two countries. I had a clear mission statement from President Trump. Uh, when I left there, Kim Jong-un understood the mission exactly as I've described it today. And uh, he agreed that he was prepared to talk about that and to uh, lay out a map that would help us achieve that objective. Uh, only time will tell if we can get that done. Is there any possibility that the U.S. would accept North Korea as a nuclear power and allow them to keep some of their infrastructure? I don't see how that's possible. And again, the North Koreans have already agreed to this. They agreed to it in 1992 with South Korea, and they've pledged similar things since then. Now, it's also the case that they've lied about it and broken their commitments. Just one reason, there's nobody in the Trump administration starry-eyed about what, uh, what may happen here. But by demonstrating they've made a strategic decision to give up nuclear weapons, it would be possible to move quickly. 
There you have uh, Bolton making the very important point at this stage that maybe the North Korea thing doesn't work. But you know what we risk by trying? Very little. People say, oh, the president meeting with Kim Jong-un, it's going to enhance his stature so much. Come on. So what's the alternative? Not not engage in any process whatsoever. Let's see. I want to look at these, line these up with the with the approach. And in one case, we have the outcome, which is Iran. The other case, we just have the approach and the preferred outcome, which would be the Trump administration dealing with North Korea. Uh, but on the North Korean side of this equation. There's plenty of reason to believe this is not going to work. Uh, people are saying over the weekend, oh, Trump deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. You know, unlike the Obama administration, which I, I still think is somewhat embarrassed by the fact that President Obama got a Nobel Peace Prize for being President Obama. That's not a, an opinion. That is a fact. They just gave him a, he, he was Obama. He got elected. They gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Pretty big embarrassment, but that's what happened. Uh, I don't want Trump to get a Nobel Peace Prize just for taking the first step in a process with North Korea. He should get a Nobel Peace Prize for results, right? This is the president who's all about the private sector, the art of the deal, the negotiation table, all that stuff. I want to see results. We may not here. I I am I put it at less than 50-50. Not nothing. It's not 2%, you know, but it's less than 50-50 that uh, this ends up going to a place where um, we feel like Trump has had some kind of uh, profound effect on this whole situation. And the South Korean President Moon Jae-in was right when he says that, uh, you know, that President Trump can take the Nobel Prize as long as the Koreans receive peace in return. You know, prizes... It's not what this is about. This is about stopping a future large-scale war in the Korean Peninsula. You know, of, of all the wars in American history, in a lot of ways, I feel like the Korean War is the, the most forgotten given the scale of the casualties that we took, um, given the players involved, because you, you very well could have had. I mean, Douglas MacArthur uh, was thinking about going after china with nukes folks you know that that was that was something that was at least at least theorized about once the chinese forces crossed the yalu river and you had all the 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 u.s or the allied forces were pushed back uh so you had a i think um what is it over over fifty thousand casualties I mean, the the Korean War doesn't get nearly the amount of attention that it should. Um, Korean War battle deaths, according to CBS here, at 33,652, and non-battle deaths at... Okay, so let's roughly more like 40,000 casualties from the Korean War. It's a lot. Uh, And if we could avoid another major conflict in the Korean Peninsula. That's something for not just us and the South Koreans, but for all of humanity to celebrate. It's going to be tough, though. North Korea doesn't want to give up its nukes. Let's not get silly about this. And I know you're not, but, you know, that some of the, the tribalism, the media discussion turns into Trump's amazing. He's a genius. He's fixed Korea. N- not the case yet. I mean, maybe you think he's amazing and a genius. I leave that to you. But 
he has not fixed the problem with, with North Korea, and it'll be very difficult for him to do so. But looking at the other side of it for a second, the, uh, the Iran deal and what we know about this now with the Netanyahu presentation today, it's about 20 minutes and change long, but I'd say it's worth watching if you can. If you got a second, you know, throw it on. It's on uh, YouTube and all over the websites. It's all over the interwebs. Uh, but, you know, the Obama-era Iran deal proponents, most notably uh, Ben Rhodes, former fiction writer and then chief propagandist for foreign policy of the Obama administration, uh, they are taking the latest revelations about how Iran has lied as evidence that this was a good idea. Essentially, if, if you are a Democrat now who is trying to protect Obama's legacy, your position is, see, Iran lies so much and is so untrustworthy that we had to give them a deal. Because how else could we get them to stop? This is like saying, hey, this guy is way too drunk. He's had way too much to drink. He's got a big drinking problem. The only way we could get him to stop is to give him even more alcohol right now in the hopes that we will buy off uh, his favor with this and maybe then he'll stop being drunk. You know, they lie, they cheat, they steal. The Iranians lie, cheat, and steal. So let's put them in a position where we give them a lot and hope that they stop lying and cheating and stealing. With No real concessions, no pain, no nothing. Only upside for them. I think it was one of the most naive foreign policy moves of, of my lifetime. Certainly of a generation. Uh, and yet here we are with the uh, Obama bros. Uh, the guys that I forget, there's one guy who was the, there's Ben Rhodes and there's uh, Tommy, whatever his name. Yeah, dude, Benghazi was like two years ago, bro. You guys all remember that? That was a, that happened. Oh, dude, Benghazi was like two years ago. Bruh. Um, those are some of the people that are out there now making the case that uh, what Obama did was, was smart, was the right move. Uh, remember, with North Korea, they play ball, they do it our way, or we keep the sanctions and all the other options in place. With Iran, the plan was take the sanctions off, give them a lot of money, send them pallets of cash, hope their behavior changes. These are just different philosophical approaches. You know, and, and you, know, you could look at how Obama views America's role in the world and I think take a lot of, a lot of analysis from that, right? We, are, we cause a lot of problems. It, the typical, the standard Democrat worldview of what America does in the whole world is that we cause a lot of problems. That there is blowback to U.S. foreign policy all over the Middle East. That many of the worst problems of jihadism are, are the result of American uh, missteps or imperialism or overreach. And so we need to take that into account, even when dealing with rogue regimes like Iran. We need to take into account the possibility that maybe um, we've had a bigger hand in making this mess. And therefore, we have to pay some kind of penance in this whole process. It's crazy thinking, but it, if, you, if you were to walk around a college campus right now and speak to some of the so-called foreign policy experts in whatever department, you know, international relations department, the political science department, they would tell you about how you know, America has a special, particularly in the case of Iran, they'll start talking about the Shah and uh, Mossadegh, and they'll, 
there is this whole line that America is responsible at some level for what's gone wrong in Iran. Therefore, all of the wrong that Iran is currently doing in the region and around the world, we bear some degree of responsibility for today. And if you take that mindset, which I think Obama's team did, then yeah, sure. Do what you got to do. Get a deal. Buy off the Iranians. I think it's crazy, but here we are. That's right. They lie. They cheat. They're ter- they're completely untrustworthy. So let's put a let's give, make take a huge leap of faith and put a lot of trust in them. That was the decision that was made with the Iran deal. So we'll see if Trump uh, stays with it. I think it's very possible he's going to say that you know we need to talk about some additional things, Iranian mullahs. And if they say no, well, then we'll be. It's okay. It doesn't mean the options here are not Iran deal or war. We would go back to sanctions, and we're in a much stronger bargaining position than the Iranians are. That's it. And ultimately, what we want is not unreasonable. We don't want the Iranians to have nuclear missiles and don't want them to have the ability to build nuclear missiles in a short period of time. That's it. And if they were serious about growing their economy and bringing prosperity and some degree of of freedom to their people, they'd be willing to play ball. But they're not, because it's a theocracy and a totalitarianism and an evil regime uh, run by people who are oppressors of their own people. So we should just under... I think this administration, for whatever flaws you may or may not believe it has when it comes to foreign policy, at least they know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. They don't mix it up. They don't confuse it. When it comes to us in Iran, we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. And when you start from a place of moral clarity like that, you're much likely to get a good outcome in these kinds of uh, high-stakes international negotiations. Uh, 844-900-2825. What do you think of the Netanyahu presentation or, or the Iran? Do you want us to stay in the Iran deal? Do you want us to uh, take action against Iran of some kind? Any of those thoughts? I'm very curious. I I'm, feel like I don't know... Team, I feel like I don't know where you are on this one right now, so I'm wondering. Uh, 844-900-2825. Uh, we will uh, discuss when we come back. Maybe not right away, but at some point we come back. MSNBC, Joy Reid, what it means to get a pass because you're in good standing with the social justice left. That's coming up. So I've got a follow-up to that story about uh, the guy getting thrown out of a bar for wearing his MAGA hat. Remember I told you about this? It was in West Village. a very, very hip, very trendy part of New York City. The West Village of New York City where uh, the, the guy says he was wearing a MAGA hat and he was kicked out. And a judge said, you know what? They're allowed to. Private property and political affiliation is not a protected category. So for some of us, we're like, you mean you can get booted from the establishment? They can take the Guinness right out of your hand and send you packing because you're wearing a MAGA hat? Seems so unfair. But uh, Greg Piotic claims that that is, in fact, what happened. And uh, now you have the owner, and I was right. I I actually know the owner of this bar. Not well. I don't have his phone number or anything. It's not like somebody I could call and meet for a drink at his bar. But I knew him growing up. 
He actually owns a few very trendy establishments in uh, New York City. I don't go to these places because I was always reading books, being a good boy. Um, well, I just didn't go to these places. Uh, but yeah, John just called me a nerd. He's right. But the uh, the owner is somebody I know. Uh, is he a Democrat? I don't know, but I, I'm going to guess yes. Uh, I'm, assume, I'm assuming he is. But now they're now you get the other side of this and they're claiming that there are death threats against the, against people working at the bar. The owner. I, I, almost, I, I just have a hard time believing that anyone is so dumb that they would threaten somebody's life, even if they had no intention of actually following it up at all. But uh, threatening someone's life over an incident like this. But there have been police reports filed. Uh, there have, in fact, been some folks who have uh, gone forward and said that this is going on there. So I just want to follow up with that. I guess I can't. I don't know. It would be kind of a fun experiment to wear a MAGA hat. Uh, I'm in downtown D.C. right now, wear a MAGA hat around here, going to different bars. But it's a Republican administration. What, what are they really going to do? You know, who are they really going to? Uh, who are they really going to be? Well, D.C. is 90 percent plus Democrat. 90% plus. Uh, we have Mac in Texas on the line. Hey, Mac. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for calling. I don't know how you could be good. You're inside the ninth circle of hell, which you call 495. Yeah, I know, man. I'm in the Beltway. I'm a Beltway bandit right now. <laughs> All right. No, I, uh, I, I've i been listening to you for over two years. And this is the very first time I think I have seen you go from a false assumption. Uh-oh. And that is, that is on the Iran deal. You are going on the assumption that they were trying to negotiate something, anything for a foreign policy legacy. I go from the assumption they had no intention of stopping Iran from developing nuclear weapons and gave them the cover to continue to do it through this so-called deal, that it was their intention to achieve parity through the entire Middle East and give everybody a nuclear weapon so that it would all even out. Because the rumors are, and it's unconfirmed, that Israel has nuclear weapons, uh, that they supposedly tested their nuclear weapon in South Africa during the apartheid regime in, I believe it was 1980. And uh, this has been the rumor that has circulated throughout the Middle East. And if everybody thinks you've got a weapon, then it's good. It's good enough. Uh, the reality is now uh, I think the Obama administration wanted everybody else to have a nuclear weapon. So there would be parity. Because well, remember, can I tell you that there are actually some there are some uh, Democrat left scholars out there who just openly advocate. I mean, so. So while I'm not sure I can I, I, I can't agree with you that that was the goal. And look, you, you know, we can come at this from different perspectives uh, that that was the goal of the Obama team. I really do think it was about Obama and about what what it would look like for him domestically. Uh, I, I can say that there are scholars who are considered mainstream who think that the answer to the problem is, in fact, let Iran get nukes, because then you'll have mutually assured destruction between Iran and Israel and they'll start to be more cooperative. Anyone who knows much about the Iranian regime is going to think that's pretty crazy. But th there are mainstream articles about that. By the way, there are people who also feel like that's that should be the approach with North Korea. And this goes back to my uh, my point about how people view America's role in the world. Right. If you think America is not really that much better than any other country, 
then why shouldn't everybody have nukes? Anyway, interesting point from you, Mac. I appreciate hearing from you down in Texas, and uh, thanks for being a part of the squad. Um, I want to talk about this Joy Reid thing because I got I was called upon to discuss it with uh, Tucker last week on Fox, and uh, I think my prediction was absolutely correct. So I like talking about my correct predictions. We'll get into that. Also, the caravan at the border wall and Clapper's alleged leaks. That's coming up. Nine Line Apparel is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. It's also a give-back company. You see, Nine Line is proud to announce a partnership with NASCAR driver Jeffrey Earnhardt to give back to children of our nation's fallen. From now through May 9th, go to NineLineApparel.com to get their Remember the Fallen Memorial Day shirt. And with each shirt purchased, you have the option of submitting the name of a fallen soldier These heroes' names will cover Jeffrey Earnhardt's car at the Coca-Cola 600 over the Memorial Day weekend in Charlotte. The charity that Nine Line and Jeffrey Earnhardt are partnering with is Angels of America's Fallen, whose goal is to support the children of those lost due to military service. Through programs run by Angels of America's Fallen, children who have lost a military parent are able to engage in sports and hobbies while honoring their parents' legacy. Support our fallen heroes. Go to NineLineApparel.com to get this exclusive Memorial Day t-shirt and all of their other patriotic apparel. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I don't like it when people call for someone to be fired because they disagree with that person's opinions or views. I don't like it. I don't do it. And and I also think that you should get uh, the benefit of the doubt and and second chances and and all that. Otherwise, we just lose an important part of our culture, which is the free exchange of ideas without uh, excessive fear of, of reprisal all the time. That all said... Oh, this Joy Reid thing is just a complete farce. It's just out of control. I've never seen her show because I definitely do not wake up at 8 a.m. on Saturday to watch MSNBC. I, I mean, I, I try not to watch MSNBC, period, but I do have to see some of the clips sometimes. But Joy Reid, as you may recall, I think we discussed this last week. Uh, she is a African-American female host of a show on MSNBC, also writes for the website, The Daily Beast. And she is a, I I believe, would self-identify as a social justice, if not warrior, somebody very, very concerned with social justice. On the right, we call this um, grandstanding identity politics usually, but, you know, social justice warriors are people who take a very progressive view of, well, everything in society and have a, a particular... I'm actually wondering what is the if I what is the definition of a of a social justice warrior? I mean, we all know what it is, but do we have a one who will use the excuse of civil rights to be rude, condescending, and sometimes violent for the purposes of relieving their frustrations or validating their sense of unwanted moral superiority? That's from the Urban Dictionary. I got to say that's a pretty good definition. High five, Urban Dictionary. 
So, yeah, especially the part about validating their sense of unwarranted moral superiority. Social justice warriors are first and foremost concerned with virtue signaling, right? Showing everyone else how great they are all the time. This is why they like to carry around signs and fight things like global warming that they're not really fighting, but they just want to feel like they're smart and feel good about themselves. So Joy Reid comes from that side of the political spectrum. Not surprising or even particularly interesting, except... About 10 years ago, she had a blog and on the blog. She wrote stuff about uh, gay people that would be distasteful in any period. Uh, but especially for somebody who happens to be a, a woman of the progressive left, a social justice activist with a television show. It's a big problem when you say things like gay people kissing, as she did. And I'm paraphrasing, not direct quoting, but it may, grosses you out and. Uh, she, I'm, I don't want to even get it. If you go back and look at some of what she said, you would say, oh, wow, a, a real hostility toward the LGBT community from her writing. And also would, made jokes about Charlie Chris said, call them Miss Charlie all the time. But that all said, I, I'm okay with somebody evolving in their views. Uh, I'm okay with people apologizing for overstating or going too far with something and and that's all fine my problem with joy reed is that she's a liar and my problem with nbc is that they're letting her get away with it i don't know how nbc really claims to have any standards of integrity at all anymore but they, they seem to and brian williams he was a guy whose particular skill was sounding like this while he stares into a camera and reads off the teleprompter. But I look the part, don't I? You trust me, America. There I was, single-handedly, taking out Julius Caesar. It was tough stuff, but somebody had to do it. You know, Brian Williams had a little problem with the truth, as we know. And remember, he also initially kind of doubled down on the lies. Oh, no, I was there, but, you know, and then it was, I, I kind of... I'm trying to remember what his nonsense uh, escape hatch rationale was, but it was something like, you know, well, I thought I was there, but I wasn't really. You know, I, I must have been confused and all that report reportage of being in Iraq that I was like in really dangerous situations. So Brian Williams did that. And, you know, and, and now you've got Joy Reid. who's at MSNBC, but, you know, owned by parent company or run by parent company, NBC. And the big problem I have with her is that she's just been lying. Uh, lying about how her blog was hacked. And I said on Tucker's show on Fox last week, this is a tactic, it's a delay tactic now, to even claim that, that the FBI is looking into this. And I think I said on air, you know, they're just going to say, well, the FBI wasn't able to find evidence of hacking. But this is, uh, you know... This is like searching for the real killers, right? You're, you're going to be looking forever, and we all know that you're never going to find anything. This is, this is the cyber version of that. Well, I, I think I was hacked, but nobody can actually find any evidence of hacking. But I, but I think I was hacked. That was the storyline in order to give her a few more days to avoid having to face up to the fact that not only did she say all this stuff, what does that mean going forward if you're Joy Reid and if you're people that support her who like to find others who are insufficiently devoted to social justice or who 
even accidentally transgress against the LGBT community with their commentary or their writing and then demands firing, wants them fired. You know, we live in a country where Brendan Ike of Mozilla can be fired from his job as the CEO of an Internet company for what he did in terms of a political donation in California to a cause that actually won a statewide referendum at the time. And he can get fired for that years later. Brendan Ike of Mozilla can get fired for being a proponent of traditional marriage at the same time that Barack Obama was a was a proponent of traditional marriage. But they need to maintain some separation here so that the hypocrisy can continue in their favor. You know, they can't be too obvious about the fact that on the left, they'll excuse some degree of LGBT animosity or uh, or or vitriol against that community. And on the and anyone who's a conservative gets completely annihilated. I mean, that's why I find this so deeply distasteful. Here's really a, a study in a non-apology apology from someone who is, I guess, just so desperate and or so lacking in integrity that, you know, whatever works, whatever gets her through the painful news cycle and prevents NBC from terminating her from her, her show, uh, she'll do. But here's what she said. Play 23. I've spent a lot of time trying to make sense of these posts. I hired cybersecurity experts to see if somebody had manipulated my words or my former blog. And the reality is they have not been able to prove it. But here's what I know. I genuinely do not believe I wrote those hateful things because they are completely alien to me. But I can definitely understand, based on things I have tweeted and have written in the past, why some people don't believe me. I've not been exempt from being dumb or cruel or hurtful to the very people I want to advocate for. I own that. I get it. I, I believe I didn't write them. Come on, folks, right? Come on. I, I truly believe I... Did you write them or not, Joy Reid? Just, just admit that you did. But the whole, the whole notion of I believe I didn't write them or, or I've reported this to the FBI and they're investigating and they have not been able to find evidence... You know, have not been able to find evidence of a hacking. This kind of reminds me of the uh, remember when Cliff from Cheers was on Jeopardy and his answer was, uh, who are three people who've never been in my kitchen? And, and I mean, technically, the, that's true, because the answer to the question uh, was Archibald Leach, Bernard Schwartz and Lucille Lesur. This was in the movie category. And those are three people that had never been in Cliff's kitchen, but that's not the point, right? Who are three people who have never been in... <laughs> I always remembered that. And uh, with Joy Reid, it's, well, the FBI hasn't found the hacking yet. Right, because there was no hacking. We're not all morons. Like, don't speak to the entire country or whoever's paying attention to this like they're a bunch of, of, of dumb, uh, you know... Dumb dummies. I was trying to think of a way to expand upon that. Uh, but that's what she's doing. And MSNBC is going to let her get away with it. Can't fire. They won't fire. So they're going to let this go. Well, this is why it's really hard to have any respect for the media. There's just no ethics. There's no honesty. And these corporations don't enforce. Remember, the same company that didn't want to run a story on Harvey Weinstein is now the company that's saying that they don't they don't think that Joy Reid should even face any disciplinary action 
not remember, not for the I'm not saying because the blog post 10 years ago. I think that's harsh. I think she should have just come out, said, look, this stuff is wrong, repudiated, apologize, move on. But she couldn't own up to it. That's what's so discrediting about the whole thing. Didn't have the the character to say this is this is what I said then, and I was wrong. It's really actually, I dare I say, a teachable moment that could have been offered up. You know, even even Joy Reid dabbled in anti-LGBT thought at one point, right? I mean, that, that's and now has learned how hateful and bad that is. But no, won't even own up to it. Won't even take responsibility, and will face no uh, penalty whatsoever. I can tell you this though: if if uh, Buck Sexton conservative analyst over at uh, msnbc which is this is not going to happen but if that I, I promise you that i would not be able to get away with this there is an enormous double standard that's at work here and people really do grow grow quite tired of it uh, after a while and and the social justice warriors um you have to remember this they view their their goals as really part of a a righteous quest and there's nothing that they think is really beyond the pale. That there's, There are very few things, if any, that they're unwilling to say in order to help the narrative and help the overall goal. Uh, they will destroy people's careers. They'll destroy their livelihoods. They'll destroy their lives. And not do so honestly if it serves the overall purpose of the agenda. You know, the agenda of the progressive, redistributionist, social justice left in this country. And because Joy Reid serves that agenda, she will be given a pass. He has been given a pass on this. As astonishing as it is, and as embarrassing as it is, by the way. Uh, that's one thing. I think one of the reasons I resent this so much, not just because I work in the media and I've seen this, and it's played out exactly as I thought it would. I said last week, I think she's going to delay this, and, and gonna this whole FBI thing is a ruse. Of course it's a ruse, right? Um, but... You know, I, I can see I'm somebody who is very sympathetic to anyone who's public facing in this way, interacting with the public all the time, sharing their thoughts. We're all going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. It happens. Um, but just own up to it and move on. She's not doing that. And they're saying that's fine. And that sends quite a message to all the rest of us. Meanwhile, give it a few months and she'll be saying that some some conservative should be uh, deplatformed or boycotted or because that's how the left works. Uh, it really is. Got a whole lot more. I got to talk to you about the uh, caravan at the border. I'm still following this pretty closely. Remember, it's it's mostly about optics now. It's only a few hundred people, but it is a reminder of what the law currently is in the country. It's a reminder of all the different ways there are to game the system, and that is what this is. And also, that the Republicans have not upheld their end of the bargain here. Uh, they have been unwilling, unwilling to do what is necessary to change immigration law and to make things happen that were promised during the campaign by Trump himself. Uh, I am I am frustrated. I am frustrated with the GOP on this. Uh, so we will continue to look at that and a whole bunch of other things come up. Oh, yeah. Third hour. I know you've heard the Washington correspondents uh, White House. I'm sorry. White House correspondents. Third hour. I want to get into a little bit just because it was so grotesque. And I think there's some bigger lessons from it. But uh, I know that that's already been dominating the the areas for quite a bit. Um, 844-900-2825, if you want to chat. 844-900-BUCK. Tomorrow's May Day, isn't it? Might have to have a sighting of the one and only 
Comrade Commie Bear on May Day. I think that might have to happen. So we've got we've got big plans, big things. And remember, whenever someone asks you a question, you don't know the answer. Who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? Is an acceptable response. We'll be right back. When I read some of these reports, as I'm down in the swamp right now, so I'm surrounded by it, right? I can smell it. All the methane all over this swamp. Uh, But I read some of the reports like this one about Kelly saying that Trump is an idiot. And I just think to myself, there are mistakes and there's maliciousness. And this strikes me as the latter. This to me certainly seems like maliciousness because I just don't believe that the chief of staff walks around calling the president of the United States an idiot. And, you know, I don't even care what Trump says privately or how he's interacting with him in the White House. I just don't think you're the White House chief of staff. You walk around calling the boss an idiot. If you feel that way, you shouldn't have the job. You should leave. And we need to have a much more uh, robust tradition of people who leave administrations, you know, leave their privileged position at the top of the United States government on principle instead of waiting until after they've left or in the case of Comey getting fired and then trying to cash in. I think it's way too obvious what's really at work with some of those situations. I think the self-interest is a bit blinding for some of the folks involved. I just don't believe that Kelly called Trump uh, an idiot, as is reported here by, what was this? Uh, Oh, it was NBC. So isn't that a surprise? The network that's like, yeah, Joy Reid, she's totally taking responsibility by not taking responsibility for what she once wrote. Uh, They're also the ones that have broken this story, which Kelly is saying is complete BS, a total non-story. He said, I've spent more time with the president than anyone else. We have an incredibly candid and strong relationship. He always knows where I stand, and he and I both know this story is total BS. (sighs) And he says it's just a smear attempt. You know, there's only a couple things that are possible here. Either John Kelly, uh, four-star general, is a liar, or there are some journalists that work for NBC who are liars. I don't know if they wanted to get even with the administration after the debacle of the White House Correspondents' Dinner and Trump's rally or something? I I don't know. I I can't really get in their heads. But uh, that's one thing. And and then, oh, speaking of apology, we have Kathy Griffin? Oh, oh gosh. Switching gears for one quick second here. So Kathy Griffin, she's the one who held up the severed President Trump head not long ago and was all, I'm so sorry. Uh, Well, now she's out there after... All the media coverage she got where she was saying she's so sorry. She's retracted the apology. That's why the left never really apologizes. It's all just tactical. It's not not heartfelt. But here's what she was saying about the president on The View. I can't believe it's been a year since this. It's it's a year this month that that picture was released. Right. And um, we already described it. What year it's been. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I take the apology back. There you go. Takes the apology back. Takes the apology. And she went on and mocks the president and everything else. So just just remember that. The next time you get some teary-eyed leftist who goes way over the line and uh, makes a credible threat against the president of the United States, just remember that. 
that uh, when they're apologizing, if it involves Trump, all apologies are temporary. You know, it's always just another opportunity to try to go after the administration when they're not looking. Um, Speaking of the administration and where it's looking, let's get into uh, the caravan at the border wall. That's or the caravan at the border. That's coming up here in uh, just a moment. Stay right there, team. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Our immigration laws in this country are a total disaster. They're laughed at all over the world. They're laughed at for their stupidity. And we have to have strong immigration laws. So I think if I apologize, it wouldn't make 10 cents worth of difference to them. There's nothing to apologize for. We have to have strong immigration laws to protect our country. That was Trump over the weekend in Michigan. And you, you had this migrant caravan at the border right now. I, I object to so much of this. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I've known all along that the caravan wasn't going away. This is a political stunt. There's a reason there's so much focus on this right now. And this is now turned into, can Trump be counted on to back up all the rhetoric over immigration and and over, well, how he really became president. I know people talk about his trade policies and trade stance, and they say that's where he connected with the American worker. But I I think he connected. You can look back at a timeline of this. And when he was talking immigration, he was more connected to those who were early supporters and, and, and had there was more of an energy and, a, and a, an electricity in his public appearances than on any other issue. I think in large part because people were, many people were unwilling to speak honestly about immigration. And so when, when just having someone come forward, think about what a radical departure it's been from what, what was acceptable even a couple of years ago. And we have been brainwashed by the media and by the establishment to think immigration is always good. It is never anything but good. It only helps. There are no costs. It does not hurt. Illegal immigration is good. It's not actually illegal. In fact, illegal immigration is better than what Americans can do in jobs. I mean, this is the stuff that's been just drummed into our heads for such a long time. And it's one of the great cons of the Democrat Party of the last 30 really last 60 years that they've managed to do this that otherwise uh, very reasonable people who pay attention to what's going on around the world are like yeah or, or pay attention to what's going on in this country more importantly are like yeah you know immigration uh, brings a lot of benefits does a lot of really good things for us um so this is where we start to see that there's a turning of the tide this is where the conversation starts to shift you've got this caravan at the border And they're trying to claim asylum. Remember, they're not waiting at the border to look for the opportunity. You know, you remember that game? If you were kids, you probably played it. Capture the flag where you'd stand and and then you'd run around and there are all these different strategies. You try to get the flag. And uh, this is not that right. It's not just trying to run across the border when you're not going to get tagged out by the border patrol. This is trying to go through the existing processes at the border, uh, the Tijuana California border uh, or the Calexico border wall where they're going to claim asylum. 
where they're just going to walk up to Border Patrol and say, hey, here I am, take me. You know, good to go. And from there, they get processed. And think about this. Why does somebody from El Salvador or Honduras get to go to the front of the immigration line when right now, uh, for example, just, just to pick a group that the media doesn't have much sympathy for, Syrian Christians aren't pushed to the front of the line, and, and they're being exterminated. Iraqi Christians aren't pushed to the front of the line. They're being exterminated. And they are would be love to be in America, and if they go back home, there's a good chance they're going to die. Meanwhile, you've got Central Americans who are given a special status that Iraqi Christians are not. You have to ask yourself, why, why is that? Why do our current laws allow this to continue? And that, that was one of the key things that Trump, uh, when we're talking about the immigration uh, situation and talking about the caravan at the wall, Trump is like, look, the laws are garbage. And he's right. Play nine. Are you watching that mess that's going on right now with the caravan coming up? Are you watching this? And our laws are so weak. They're so pathetic. Given to us by Democrats, they're so pathetic. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. We've gotten Mexico to work with us on stopping a lot of what's pouring in, but we have the worst laws anywhere in the world. We don't have borders. We're going to build the wall. We're getting it. We've already started. And the wall is lagging, my friends. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that things are going great with the wall because they're not. The wall right now is lagging. We are not building the wall fast enough to get it done. What happens if Trump loses the House or if the Republican Party loses the House in the fall? Goodbye, wall. This is donezo. So, you know, I understand that Trump says he's committed to this, and, and I believe he does want a wall. But we are a long way from actually making that a reality. And in the meantime, what is the Republican Congress doing? People say, oh, Buck, uh, their hands are tied. They, they, they can't do anything because of the filibuster. Change the filibuster rule. Harry Reid did it. And as a result, Obama packed the federal judiciary with what are now never Trump, anti-Trump judges. Now, that was a pretty effective strategy. You can say what you will about Harry Reid, but, you know, the guy will shake your hand and then put on the brass knuckles when your head is turned and take you, take you down, right? He's, he fights dirty. And you got Republicans that are sitting here like, oh, you know, we can't get anything through. Now they need super, they need super majorities to fix laws around asylum. They need super majorities, uh, a super majority in the Senate in order to address some of the insane immigration policies that we currently have just to get construction of a wall going. Folks, I'm sorry, they're lying to us. They don't really want to do these things. I think a lot of members of Congress, and I'm going to start having some meets and uh, chatting with more and more of them in the uh, days and weeks ahead. But it's not that they've been stopped from doing these things. It's that they're looking from an excuse, for an excuse to not do these things. That's where I really see this right now. I, I, don't, believe that, uh, I don't believe that this is going to get much better anytime soon. Um. I mean, Trump is saying he's going to fight on the wall. Play clip 10. The Democrats actually feel, and they're probably right, that all of these people that are pouring across are going to vote for Democrats. They're not going to vote for Republicans. They're going to vote no matter what we do. 
But we have to have borders, and we have to have them fast. And we need security. We need the wall. We're going to have it all. And again, that wall has started. We got 1.6 billion. We come up again on September 28th. And if we don't get border security, we'll have no choice. We'll close down the country because we need border security. I'm going to hold the president to that one. Remember, he could veto whatever the Congress starts to pass when it comes to an, another continuing resolution or another spending bill or another omnibus bill or whatever. He, he has powers that he can use. He doesn't just have to go along with it because that's what they want. And now I, I think we, we've set a marker here. Do we really think, though, the Republicans are going to become brave on the issue of immigration right before the midterms? I highly Highly doubt it. They're always waiting to fight another day. They're always waiting for the next time. And in the meantime, look what's happening to the country. Look at how we we are coming apart politically. We're coming apart linguistically. I mean, this is a big problem. The number of, of people in the country who have very rudimentary at best English is something that is an enormous strain on resources and Think about this. How could this be a problem for anyone to talk about? Oh, how could you? The English language is what unifies us from a cultural perspective as much as anything other than uh, perhaps the, the Constitution itself and rule of law and some of our our civic traditions. But the English language is essential. What, why, what do we have in common with uh, Australia and Canada and many of our closest allies around the world? Oh, that's right. English. That's why and th- this is why there's such a cultural similarity and the, the crossover as well. But oh no, we can't t- can't talk about that stuff. Oh, that's not right. You know, Nancy Pelosi, the Democrats are going to get really upset if you keep discussing these things. So, I, I think you're going to find most of the caravan ends up claiming asylum and they get into the system, and it's happening while Trump is president. And I can hear a lot of stuff about how, you know, they it's not their fault. The Democrats are obstructionist. At some point, if the Republicans can't get this done, they should just be honest and be like, you know what, we're we're unable to stop the inflow, folks. You know, smoke them if you got them, because America's going down. I mean, that's it. At some point, they should just be honest. If mass immigration is endless for the foreseeable future into this country, uh, I, I will come right back and talk to you about some of the leaks that have been going on and some of what we found out about an unholy alliance, if you will, between former administration officials and some of the uh, people that are going on TV now doing commentary. We'll be, we'll be right back with that. I mean, Brennan was head of the CIA. Clapper is a director of national intelligence. Did they launch any investigation? I mean, and only a few people would have had access to these facts and these conclusions. So Brennan and Clapper, they are the people at the top. They're the ones responsible for this. Whether they did it or not, they're responsible. And they're going out. They have the nerve to be criticizing President That's Trump right. when they allowed the worst leaks probably in the history of intelligence. There you had a Congressman Peter King, who is a, uh, a bit of a brawler on the cable news circuit, to be sure. But he's talking about a couple of things that are getting a lot more attention right now. Clapper and Brennan have now broken down any notion that people may have of a nonpartisan 
senior intelligence apparatus. They, you know, they've made it so that people that work at that level uh, have to now deal with the administration thinking that any holdover from the Obama administration may be some kind of a deep state element. I mean, these guys are hyperpartisan, Clapper and Brennan, and they've gone out there and they are now on the making the, the rounds on cable TV, constantly attacking the president. But Clapper in particular has gotten some more attention recently because uh, he seems to have some connection to the whole dossier situation. According to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, HIPSI, which put out a uh, report last week, Clapper wasn't exactly uh, truthful. Clapper didn't just keep it on the straight and narrow when it came to questions about his contact with the media and the dossier, as uh, as we know it now. All right, so Clapper's a guy who, as we look at this, we have to think, hold on a second. He lied under oath. If he lied under oath, that's a crime. If he lied to Congress under oath, and they are now telling us about this, you'd think that somebody would prosecute for this. But he's very protected. Why is he so protected? Well, Jonathan Turley gets into a bit of the connectivity here. You know, he's the GW. Oh, he's not far from where I am. He's a GW professor who is not a conservative, but just tries to actually interpret the law instead of rewriting it. And here's what he said about Clapper's issues with regard to CNN and the dossier. Play 15. Clapper most certainly did lie to Congress. He was not indicted. In fact, the statute of limitations ran out not long before he took the job at CNN. What's also interesting is that Comey, uh, the former FBI director, said that CNN was looking for a hook in order to run the story of the dossier. He said that to Trump. That hook ultimately became that briefing with Comey. Uh, That was used as the hook, but CNN reported that high-level people had confirmed this information with them. If one of those individuals is Clapper, then he has a serious problem. He could be accused again of perjury. Is Clapper lying about his contact with CNN? Did Clapper give that juicy scoop to CNN about the president? being briefed on the dossier. Remember, that they had to find a way to get it out there, to launder it so it could be publicly discussed. And the way to do that is to use the media as the cutout in that process. That's what seems like it happened. That's what seems like uh, happened here. And that's, uh, that's increasingly, I think, uh, a, a clear case. There's a, a clear case to be made. And these former senior Obama appointees in the intelligence community have decided to become all-out super partisans trying to take down this administration while also collecting paychecks from media organizations right away after they leave their government jobs. And, you know, you'd think if you had been the former director of national intelligence or a former CIA director, you would want to, you'd understand the seriousness of the issues that you handled and would want to inform the public and steer policy. We don't need another clown telling us how terrible Trump is. We don't need that. I don't know why Brennan thinks that that's useful at this point. But it's really all about them, right? It's really all about these people who, if not a deep state, were certainly a progressive parastate inside the top echelon of the United States government. And 
you know, it's, it's just enough is enough. Uh, I, I do believe that there were high-level leaks from people of the same stature, at least, as uh, Clapper and Brennan, whether FBI or, you know, the, or Clapper and Brennan, right? It could have been them. I, I don't know. Uh, but I do know that very senior people are the ones who leak because they have connections to reporters, they have access, they have cover for those meetings, right? You're allowed to, when you're the FBI director, right, you have some discussions with the press. You know, when you're, when you're the DNI, you're allowed to talk to the press. Uh, when you're just some other person way down the food chain, an FBI, DOJ, or wherever, you don't talk to the press. You're not going to take those kinds of risks. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So we're looking at very senior people. I, I, I need to keep an eye on Clapper. And and then also just the the way this whole thing went down. Did Clapper get a job at CNN because he was leaking information to them? that they then ran scoops on to hurt President Trump. Is that the is that now the new cycle? Is that the way that this thing works? Because it's not like journalism can take many more lumps without just collapsing under its own lies and uh, just pretentiousness. You know, I, I'm all for a system where we admit our biases, admit what we want, admit what we're trying to do and accomplish. And then, you know, the, the facts straighten themselves out because without facts, you have no credibility. So without credibility, you can't push the agenda. So it's not over just the facts. It's it's the 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 fight is really over the honesty of what perspective does one come from versus what perspective does somebody else come from. But, you know, I, a, another way to look at this would be to talk about the White House correspondence uh, debacle over the weekend, uh, which I did not watch live. I did. Uh, Certainly watch the day after, but it tells us a lot about what the elite D.C. media thinks of not just Trump, but really the rest of the country. And we will get into that in just a few moments. Well, I'm in Washington, D.C. now. It's already getting hot here, but the good news is that's a great time of year to kick back, relax and have a nice glass of G4 tequila. You see, G4 is all about truly great craftsmanship in the tequila process. The coolest thing you're probably going to remember about G4 is that it is distilled using 50% harvested rainwater and 50% spring water. The rainwater is actually harvested from an advanced rain collection system that was built into the distillery itself. And the name G4 stands for fourth generation. These guys take their tequila seriously. Whether you're going to be making margaritas with it, sitting back, drinking it straight, or with some rocks, I like to salt the rim of the glass myself, G4 is simply delicious it's at a great price point you will love this artisan tequila go to g4tequila.life for more details or give them a like on facebook at facebook.com slash g4 tequilas buck sexton permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence make, make no mistake america great you're a great american again this is the buck sexton show activate Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Is this better than that phony Washington White House correspondence? Is this more fun? I could be up there tonight smiling like I love where they're hitting you shot after shot. These people, they hate your guts. Shot. And then I'm supposed to. And you know, you got to smile. 
And if you don't smile, they'll say, he, he was terrible, he couldn't take it. And if you do smile, they'll say, what was he smiling about? You know, there's no way. That was Trump in Michigan. And welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Saxon Show team. That, that was Trump in Michigan. And he's completely right. He was completely right. He is completely right. Uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner is a debacle. And this past weekend, it was a, just an all-out embarrassment. Uh, and to those who are wondering, I, I actually went to a White House Correspondents' Dinner maybe six years ago now. I think I went in 2012. So, yeah, it would have been six years ago. And it was boring. And I left in the middle of it, and, I would, and I've never gone back. Uh, I could have gone back. I've never asked to go back. I have no interest in going back. It's just not something that appeals to me at all. I'm down here, as you know, in the swamp right now. And it is among the swampiest of swamp-like events because it's all based on really a myth. Uh, You have all these people who are getting together and uh, under the pretense that it's a celebration of journalism, but it's really a celebration of how cool and influential all of the people assembled are. And they're supposed to be there talking about Big J journalism when in reality it's all about hanging out with the people that they're not covering so much as they are constantly socializing with anyway. Right? It's all very clubby. A lot of this is built on access. And journalism in this country is largely a lie now, or at least the notion of impartial journalism. It's just not true. It doesn't exist. I, I prefer when people at least say things like uh, someone's a, a political journalist or a, I'm sorry, a, um, I'd even take a political activist over a political journalist in most cases. Because there's an honesty to it, trying to achieve something, trying to push certain certain agendas. That's what most journalists do. So Trump's event in Michigan, which we may go back to in a second, was uh, was great. And it just shows you why was this guy and why was this movement able to defeat this Hillary swamp beltway, a corridor machine in the last election? And the White House Correspondents' Dinner was almost like it was made to order to remind all Americans why Hillary lost the last time around. Because she's amazing! No, I mean, because it was a, a, a rejection, the opportunity to reject all this nonsense, this self-congratulatory lies that are, that are such a pervasive part of the uh, contemporary media apparatus. And uh, but nothing was worse about it. And and this was the worst one that there's ever been. than Michelle Wolf, a comedian that I have literally I'd literally never heard of before the White House Correspondents Dinner. Now, I don't pretend to be really up on pop culture, but I am up on the culture, broadly speaking. And I'm on Twitter and I'm pretty much uh, on the Internet all day long, 24 seven in one way or another. And I'd never heard of this person now. Maybe she was going to be great. And so the fact that this could have been a a breakout moment for her. So the fact that her notoriety wasn't particularly high going into it didn't really matter to me. She didn't just bombed. I mean, she nuclear, thermonuclear fusion bombed this thing. I mean, it was like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't watch it live. I I looked at at it on playback the next day because why? I was having actually a nice weekend and did not want to watch the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I'll tell you, I actually was forced to cover, and this was really, this was debasing. I tell you the truth. I had to watch the White House Correspondents' Dinner 
from a studio in CNN and comment on the commentary in real time at the correspondence dinner, I would rather take a pencil with plenty of lead in it and stab myself in the eye now than do that again. It was brutal. Uh, but going back to what was the, the real low light of the night, this Michelle Wolf stand-up routine. Now, they do this. There's a stand-up part of this. But this one was just a reminder of how in the Trump era, there is no class, there is no good faith, there is no kindness or decency at all extended to the other side, meaning the Trump side, even during a social event that's supposed to be a celebration. They can't be nice to Trump and the Republicans even during a party which is what this is, okay? This is not a political, it's, it's not supposed to be a political event. It's not supposed to be a political rally. And uh, the worst part of the whole thing was when Michelle Wolf, you've probably heard this, but I want to walk through it a little bit, got into the part of her act, which was terrible top to bottom. It was truly unfunny, nasty, and also she just sounds like an idiot. She just doesn't, she didn't sound like an, like an intelligent, witty person at all during this. But here's how she spoke about the White House press secretary. Play clip five. And of course we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. Of course we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia and the Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Mike Pence, if you haven't seen it, you would love it. Every time Sarah steps up to the podium, I get excited because I'm not really sure what we're going to get. You know, a press briefing, a bunch of lies, or divided into softball teams. (laughs) It's shirts and skins, and this time don't be such a little bitch, Jim Acosta. Notice how they're laughing. I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts, and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. (laughs) Like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. (laughs) And I'm never really sure what to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, is it Sarah Sanders? Is it Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it Cousin Huckabee? Is it Auntie Huckabee Sanders? What's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? Horrifying. Idiotic, unfunny, nasty, painful to listen to. This is who this elite and elitist collection, elitist actually, not elite, of uh, of D.C. throne sniffers, which is really what we're talking about here. A lot of people that suck up to power, and what's worse pretend that they are keeping power in check and holding power accountable. Uh, a lot of those people in the room laughing and and they picked this person to give the speech. Notice what she did. She went after... Uh, oh, and I, I love... Um, the guy who plays... Uh, I forget his name from the show. He's a South, South Asian American actor. Uh, I'm forgetting his name. Um, I think his name is... Uh, uh, anyway, I can't remember his name. But he he was trying to, he's got a big Twitter following, all these actors that don't know anything do. That they weren't making fun of her appearance, really. They're talking about a character from the show, um, a character from the show The Handmaid's Tale, uh, who is 
just austere and large and mannish. And that's who she likens her to. And then makes a so- uh, essentially makes a lesbian softball player joke. That was what she did. So let's just call out what she did. That was what she did. And, uh, and then also made fun of her makeup. This is just nasty. This is uh, pathetic. I'm going to be a mean girl on the podium stuff. And you know what's, in many ways, the most astonishing part of it? That there were a lot of journalists who the day after this were either saying she didn't, they did something called gaslighting, saying she didn't make fun of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' appearance, which is just a lie, or were saying it's Trump's fault. This was the big takeaway. Oh, it's Trump's fault, you see? They are pathological. They have, a, they have psychological issues. There's been a break from reality. There's been a break from rational thought and reason with a large portion of the Washington press corps. Anyone who would think that a comedian going up on stage and mocking the appearance of a prominent woman in a, uh, in a White House role is the fault of the president will make excuses for any behavior whatsoever. But that's what they do. You know, in the it's like I mentioned to you with Trump, uh, Trump law, uh, you have and the Trump, the anti-Trump judiciary. And now there's the, the Trump standards for media, which is just anything to hurt the administration is justifiable. That's all that matters. And anything that gets in the way of that is to be forgotten, is to be pushed aside, is irrelevant. That is that is exactly how they act. Now, it gets worse and there's more. So I want to talk to you a little uh, in a little more detail about some of the worst parts of this, because it was a real window into what the White House press corps. And look, there's a lot of if you're like a media person in the D.C. or or New York area that is part of any establishment, any established and establishment media at all, you tend to go to this thing, you know, news media I'm talking about. You tend to go to this thing and uh, the lack of self-awareness that this crew has is just astonishing. It's astonishing. And, you know, so many of them are so deeply insecure, untalented, and they're just weaselly little suck-ups. You know, that's really what they are. Never really been all that interested in doing anything other than promoting themselves. And it was just like a collection of... It, it, was, it was like a bonfire of the vanities, and we were watching it burn in real time. Uh, so I, I want to get into a little more of this right after uh, we, we take a, a, quick, a quick beat here. So uh, stay right there, team. We've got more on the White House correspondence debacle when we come back. Information is everything when it comes to background and vetting needs. And that's why Global Verification Network is simply the best possibility for you out there right now. Global Verification is the only dual-certified and veteran-owned background investigation company. They don't send your stuff overseas. Their people aren't located overseas. You'd be amazed how many so-called vetting companies are doing all their stuff outside of U.S. territory, which means, by the way, they're not as hack-proof. You don't know what's really going on. You want people that are here located in the States. Your information is never offshored. Your data is is kept here, and all the people working on your cases, all the risk mitigation experts are here in the U.S. of A. Check it out for yourself. Go to mygvn.com, that's mygvn.com, or call Global Verification Network at 877-695-1179. 
We should definitely talk about the women in the Trump administration. There's Kellyanne Conway. Man, she has the perfect last name for what she does. Conway. It's like if my name was Michelle Jokes Frizzy Hair Smalls. You guys gotta stop putting Kellyanne on your shows. All she does is lie. If you don't give her a platform, she has nowhere to lie. It's like that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods, how do we get Kellyanne under that tree? How do we get Kellyanne under that tree? I I do want to meet the person. I want to meet the collection of idiots that thought that this woman should be given this platform at all, ever. I'd like to I'd like to have a conversation with them. I, I know I'll never get this opportunity, but I'd like to sit around and say, so explain to me how having this nasty, shrill voiced, untalented uh, wannabe clown, because at least clowns are funny. Honk, honk. Uh, someone explain to me how that was ever a good idea. This is one of the things you see about many people in the media is that they are where they are largely because of connections and conniving, not because of any particular talent. And you could say, oh, Buck, this is the White House Correspondents Association. Yeah, what is, what is it? Even? It's a scholarship organization? Then just raise money and give people scholarships. The whole thing is a joke. I completely agree with those who are saying that it should, that at least the Correspondents' Dinner um, should, I mean, look, people are allowed to throw a party if they want to, but this should go away. Presidents should not attend. Uh, administration personnel, I got to say it. I don't know why some of the folks who showed up were upset when things got nasty who worked for the administration. I would never show up if I worked the administration. I don't want to be around this. I know you knew what it was going to be, right? I mean, we all kind of knew. I I get it. Maybe they wanted to give the benefit of the doubt to the left. But how many times can Lucy pull away the football on this one before we see it for what it is? Uh, But it gets even worse, too. You know, this is... This goes to show you how the left has so thoroughly destroyed comedy. Remember, you can't have a poo, the character from The Simpsons, anymore. And I, I actually do a pretty good poo impersonation, um, but I can't do that because I want to get in trouble. Meanwhile, you can have a left-wing comedian get up at the correspondence dinner and say this, play clip seven. Mike Pence is also very anti-choice. He thinks abortion is murder, which, first of all, don't knock it till you try it. (laughs) And when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you got to get that baby out of there. She's making jokes about uh, punching a fetus until it dies. Is that that funny to any any, uh, sentient human being? Anybody with... More than a, a couple of brain cells to rub together is where, where's the humor in that? How is that funny? This is a professional comedian who I'm sure was paid handsomely to, to do this, and that's what she thinks she should be making jokes about. And I'll note that there was some, if not groaning, at least a little bit of a hesitation in the room when she made that comment. But there are people who laugh. They think that's funny. You know, I, what does the left really stand for now? Uh, it's a question I'm not going to try to answer all at once, but just remember that, uh, that that's a joke that could get made. I, and I, and I, I like to line these things up. A poo is cultural appropriation, racist and terrible after entertaining people for decades and doing a lot of really incisive political commentary and not punching up, not laughing at, but laughing with the character of a poo on The Simpsons. But 
there are people who are still defending uh, Michelle Wolf's complete disaster of a stand-up, including that abortion joke. There are people who think that you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't nearly as terrible as I seem to think it was, and uh, they're just they're delusional. They really are, um, and and they're just they're destroying so much that is good and decent in this country, and they think they're making it better, which is really one of the particular diseases of progressivism. It's very troubling, um, but that that was one of the most unfunny jokes I've ever seen. And you know, for all these, and I don't, I don't have some of the clips you had, you know. Um, Cuomo's brother uh, on on CNN, and he was getting into it with uh, with Matt Schlapp over how come you call out the White House correspondents dinner stand up, but you don't call out Trump. Right. This is now they are just admitting they have no standards anymore. The only standard is, does it attack Trump and does it scratch the itch that the left has of trying to debase, defame and assault Trump always and at all costs? That is the only standard. That is the only rule that exists that they that they care about um and that's why trump's the juxtaposition of the trump rally with this just complete and utter bacchanal of stupidity at the correspondence dinner uh that's why i think it was so powerful and you had moments like this from trump that i really appreciated play uh, 11 all around the world we're respected again we're not pushovers anymore we're not pushovers You saw the president of France, he came in, great guy. Blame your American presidents and your American representatives. But it's not happening anymore. We're respected again. As a nation, we're respected. We're not the patsies anymore. We're not the pushovers anymore. You know who the... uh... You know who the people that really lost out in in this whole weekend were? Those who think that they have the right to judge the rest of us um, from their perches in the media. Uh, I don't want to hear any more from them. You don't want to hear any more from them. And I'm glad in a sense that they expose themselves in this way. Uh, You won't catch me at this correspondence dinner. uh, And I don't think others should go either. And I'm glad that Trump had his rally and just went right to the American people with it. Um, I I do want to tell you, I want to line it up a little bit in here. So I want to tell you about the most interesting part of my weekend, which involved a tiny pet of the porcine variety. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So I had an incredible experience uh, over the weekend where I, my, my little sister, I'm so proud of her. She's the, the coolest, most awesome little sister on the planet. She is, is getting married in um, just about a month. So I have a, I have a wedding that I am going to New York this week, and that's not her wedding, another family member's wedding, uh, one of my cousins. And then I got a wedding for my little sister in a month, so it's going to be fun. So Buck is going to be rocking the wedding season hard in 2018 i've already got i got a new summer suit which i i never really spend money on things like this so i'm excited about that you know a suit that's i I used to think oh i'll just wear a year-round suit no no there's that's a bad idea especially if you're going to go to a wedding that's going to have any outdoor stuff in summertime in new york or dc 
but anyway, I, I was, uh, I was with my family over the weekend and my little sis decided she was going to have a friend come over and bring over micro pigs, which some of you saw this on the, the various social media platforms, right? I, I posted some photos on Instagram, on Facebook. These things are amazing. I, now before I, a lot, I saw a lot of the comments about Buck, how can you like bacon and small pigs in this way? And I, I agree that there's a little bit of a disconnect there, but let me just get into micro pigs. Apparently they are uh, able to be trained like dogs, which is just amazing to me that they come when, when the, the, the owner would say come, they'd come by name so they can, they recognize names. Uh, you can have them not, not only will they use, I'm just telling you, by the way, these teacup, uh, or I think that, yeah, they call them uh, micro pigs, but they're like teacup pigs. Same idea. They're tiny. I mean, I was holding them. They, they're, they look like little baby pigs, but they stay baby pig size the whole time. And you can train them to use a, a little potty. So you can potty train these tiny pigs. And I said, well, can you put little, little mini diapers on the mini pigs? And she said, no, we don't do that. And I said, yeah, that's weird, obviously. Why would I ask that? But they were pretty, they're pretty incredible little animals. Uh, really, really cute. And they, uh, they apparently are very affectionate. They become very attached to people. I, 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 was, I was amazed. I'd never, the only pigs I'd ever seen are pigs on a farm that were, you know, what you usually think of, right? Big and sloppy. And you're like, that looks like yummy bacon. Now, I saw all the commentary about my micro pigs and bacon bits. And guys, you know, there's, there's differences here, okay? Those are big, mean pigs. And micro pigs are very different because they're pets. Uh, but this is all, you know, I, I really don't have, this is where I start to accept that emotion overtakes reason. When people say to me, well, you love steak and hamburger so much. You know, cows are, are mammals, but you would you would risk your own personal safety for your, a dog that you care about. Why, why is that? I don't have answers to these things. I really don't. Um, how can I think that pigs are cute and adorable and maybe want to have one as a pet, but also ate bacon? I mean, Miss Molly was giving me a hard time. She's like, you ate bacon in the morning and we're playing with baby pigs in the afternoon in a little pen. And the answer is yes. And I don't really have much of a, much of a thing to say beyond they're really cute and fun and i also cannot give up bacon because it's delicious so i'm I'm at kind of a crossroads here team i don't have an answer you know this is like a i need to speak to some kind of a a, an animal ethicist or something to to help me understand how is it possible you can find an animal cute and want to have it around but you could eat its cousins but then again, you look at the animal kingdom, if we're going to be totally honest here, lots of animals, you know, they love their own family, but they'll eat other animals. Right? There's, there's tons of this that goes on. Even bears, I mean, even more sophisticated animals, you know, a male bear will eat little baby bears if, it, if they're not his. So I, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going down the, the teacup pig hole here a little bit, but they're amazing. If you guys haven't seen them, I would recommend you uh, check out on, on Instagram or on uh, Facebook. I put them all over the place. The cutest little things ever. And, and what I would ask is any of you who have photos of super cute, uh, super cute baby animals of any kind, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I, I want to see what you got, because I know there are a lot of you that live in areas where y- you're not 
amazed if you can find a domicile with more than 400 square feet. Like many of you live in places where there's actual grass and trees, which sounds amazing, by the way. So you have room for things like animals as well as human beings to stretch out and not be able to cook with one hand and open the door to the front door with the other and then put their foot in the shower all at the same time. You actually have some room to spread out. So uh, if you have some cute animal photos, uh, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, post them under the uh, teacup pig photo that I have up on Facebook. Let's see what you got. Um, but John, do I, I probably have to make sure that we can post photos up there, right? Maybe that's turned off. So I'm just realizing that this might not be, um, you know what? Send me them in the roll call inbox and I'll post the cutest ones. That's how we'll do it. So facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, send me the cutest baby animals that you've met. It can't just be off the internet, right? You've got to actually have had some connection to them. And uh, it'll just be a nice thing for the springtime. We'll do a little collage for you all of cutest team buck uh, pets on on the Facebook page. Uh, which reminds me, we've got roll call coming up here in just a second. So stay right there. Time for roll call. That's kind of an intense roll call. I kind of like our, our jazzier. You know what, John? We we can kick that one out of the rotation. We can drop that one in the in the forget in the forget about it bucket. I don't like that roll call one as much. I I am the one that picks the music, so I have no one to blame but myself. But sometimes, just to make it a little spicy, a little fun, I just grab something out of our music bin. I'm like, this sounds interesting, and don't even really give it more of a more than a five second listen. Uh, so let's get into roll call. If you want to be a part of this, by the way, uh, you should just send us a message at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or official team Buck at gmail.com. First up, we have Shannon who writes, Hey Buck, I'm a loyal listener for the last three years. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. I really appreciate that. You are definitely my favorite radio show podcast and I never radio show slash podcast and I never miss it. Quick question. I'm going to Aruba in a few weeks. What do you recommend? Oh, and when did you start working on all of your voices? Hillary is my favorite. It sounds just like her, and, and, and the Andrew Cuomo voice is amazing. Keep it up. Shields high, Shannon. Shannon, when you go to Aruba, do not get pulled into the big fancy hotels. The restaurants are not very good. And they are very overpriced. Uh, but there's a place called Yamanja, which is actually in downtown, the main city in Aruba. I forget what it's called off the top of my head, but you'll know it's where all the cruise ships pull in. That place was phenomenal. And you know what, Shannon? I'll write back here on Facebook and give you a sense of what some of my other favorite spots were. Miss Molly and I had a, had a great time in Aruba. Very, just a very pleasant, civilized place. Really beautiful. Uh, amazing beach. So I'll send you some more restaurant wrecks. And uh, Hillary just wants to let you know, put your suntan lotion on. See, you're not going to forget it now. I probably just saved you from getting a second degree burn on your tum-tum because you're going to put sunblock on now because Hillary told you to. It's very important. So uh, here we go. Kirk is up next. He writes, Buck, I watched the Fox and Friends segment with my wife and 10-year-old daughter. We thought the hosts interrupted you so much they prevented you from finishing your eggs. What's up with that? 
Something good that came out of it, though, is my 10-year-old daughter baking a cake with her friend yesterday. I noticed she used your paper towel technique to crack the eggs. Yes, Kirk. Honestly, that is super exciting for me. Thank you so very much. Um, On another subject, you had me LOL with your Amherst stoplight destruction story. I have a noise pollution favorite for you. The construction worker in an enclosed and safe area making hundreds of shifts into reverse in his bobcat, engaging the reverse shrill every time. We are flooded with useless noise. Kirk from Houston. Well, Kirk, thank you so much for your message. I know what you're talking about, by the way. When you, the backup noise, beep, beep, beep. It's particularly terrible when it's from a machine that you're like, this isn't even going to run me over. You know, maybe if I were, I know people say, Buck, what about children and stuff? But come on, like, realistically, this thing is not running anybody over. You know, it's like a golf cart with a backup noise. I mean, yeah, theoretically, it could crush somebody, but it's pretty pretty unlikely. And as to the uh, egg, I'm telling you, I'm so good at, I don't want to show off. So maybe this is a humble brag or it's just a brag. But I can do one-handed egg cracking with my paper towel technique without getting shell in there. That's skills, my friends. Chef Ramsey would be proud. You donkey! Uh, so I should actually probably have. I should have. We should have a drop of Ramsey yelling. You donkey! You know, I'm going to tell you all something. I wanted last week to get the guys on the on the board. I wanted John and Mike to have a, a Chef Ramsey drop to use after my after my egg uh, extravaganza on Fox and Friends. I'm going to tell you something though. Uh, it's really hard to find a good Chef Ramsey clip where he's not using a lot of profanity. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at that. Chef Ramsey's got salty language going on. Uh, but Kirk, I'm glad that your daughter learned the new technique. It's great, too. It's so much easier to clean up. And if you go on the edge or the, you know, the rim of a bowl or a pan, you're going to get shell in there. And I don't care how good the eggs are. I don't care what kind of cheese and herbs or herbs, if you're British, uh, you use. If you get a big chunk of shell and you just crunch into it, it kind of ruins it, you know? It ruins it. I don't know. If, it, if it's long, gross hair in your food or crusty eggshell, I guess we all go eggshell, actually. I'll answer that one for myself. Uh, but there we have it. Uh, Jerry writes, what's up, Buck? Podcast listener, original Saturday Squad, and Blaze subscriber when you had your shows over there. I love Black Rifle Coffee. And I make it cold brew style using a French press. Well, Jerry, you are a fancy fellow. It's very bougie. I like it. I let it sit for 24 hours on the counter and plunge and pour over some ice cubes in the morning. And the rest of the day will be good. You should give it a try. You should also check out comedian Owen Benjamin. He's a libertarian conservative and has recently been attacked by those snowflake losers on the left. He even lost his, uh, his manager and a few jobs over saying out loud, that he doesn't think a seven-year-old should be given hormone treatments. Please look into getting him on the show sometime. You'd love him. Speaking of love, put a ring on Miss Molly's finger. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Jerry. Well, Jerry, thank you. I don't know Owen Benjamin. I'll have to look up his work, but I have a feeling that uh, if you think it's uh, so excellent, I will also think it's quite good. As to a seven-year-old getting hormone treatments, it's completely insane. Uh, Anyone who is below the age of 18, in my opinion, getting hormone treatment, Look, people would say, Buck, you're not a scientist, you're not a doctor. Okay, true. You know how many scientists have studied the long-term effects of, of uh, hormonal therapy meant for a transgender, meant for as part of a transgender, what they now call a gender 
affirmation process, uh, the answer is zero. Nobody knows what the long term. I mean, physical, forget about psychological effects for a second, which I think are also profound. There are no studies that I am aware of that have ever been done of that. It is such a new phenomenon. How could there be? So forget about you're not a scientist, Buck. You don't know. Scientists don't know, but they're just getting uh, pressured and and bullied into uh, into this. So I digress. Uh, let's see who's uh, and Miss Molly's amazing. I agree, Jerry. And don't worry, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, let's see. Kenneth writes in, you lost a listener when you announced you'd be on Colbert. Kenneth, I, I wasn't really on Colbert. It was a joke. You know, I was trying to extend it out a little bit as a joke. So I hope you came back, man. Ho- hope you gave me hope you gave me another shot. Uh, Andy's up here. He writes, hey, Buck, first heard you on The Blaze, and I love listening to you on the iHeartRadio app. You are what the new wave of conservative uh, conservatism in this country needs. A young, new, fresh voice that uses humor and pop culture to oppose the left. Thank you for all you do. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate that. Certainly aspire to have a, a very, you know, a unique vibe, tone, and, and style here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, Andy also writes, I'm a day late to the action movie party, but you should check out Kung Fury if you haven't already. It's, a, it's 30 minutes of epic, unrealistic madness. I don't know, Andy. You know, I'm going to tell you guys something. And and usually, you know, my my own family will make fun of me. They'll say that if there's if there's uh, dudes with long hair, uh, battle axes and swords, wenches and ale, Buck likes it, which is generally true. So anything that's a historical, either fiction or historical epic or uh, whatever it may be, that has those things, you know, dudes sword, dudes with swords and axes fighting, uh, beer wenches and all that stuff, I tend to like it. This is not in that category, but it is historical epic. So many of you told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I don't make anybody annoyed at me here, to watch the terror that Miss Molly, because she has lots of friends, she went out Saturday night with all of her girls. They had a girls' night, and I stayed home, and I tried to watch some episodes of The Terror, and it's really well done, and I can understand that there's a kind of foreboding from being... By the way, it's about the search by a Brit, two large British vessels, explorer vessels, for the Northwest Passage, which is essentially the naval route through the uh, islands of northern Canada connecting up into the Arctic uh, Circle. And obviously, you catch that at the wrong time in wooden ships, etc. Very, very bad things happen. I'm going to try to push for I got three episodes into the terror. Didn't love it. And I should love it because it's right in my wheelhouse. It's got British dudes, ships. It's got everything. Uh, but, you know, it just felt like it was a little slow for me. And, and, and I'm not really seeing how it's going to be more than a lot of guys like, oh, I'm so cold, Captain. It's freezing. You know, get it, get it together, man. Your love of country shall keep you warm. You know, I, I kind of see how that's all going to be the direction. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a few more. I'm going to give it a few more. Snyder, we got one more here. Hey, Buck, great seeing you on Fox. Keep speaking, uh, my friend. Well, Snyder, as I am a radio host, I I indeed intend to keep speaking, but I greatly appreciate the encouragement. I hope that you will tell some folks out there about this show I do, known as the Buck Sexton Show. So, 
with that, my friends, uh, I'm going to get ready to close up the hut. I'm going to be down here in D.C. every day this week. So that's going to be something. Back uh, this weekend in New York City for a wedding. But going to have my hands full, to be sure, with uh, all the things I'm working on. I have an announcement for you about the project I'm working on, but it's not to be officially announced just yet. But I've got exciting stuff to tell you about, team, and it'll come out this week. So stay tuned for that. And uh, until tomorrow, from the swamp, the Freedom Hut bids you adieu and shields high.